gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans around the world, we are coming at you live yet again with another edition of Run the Point. Just to remind you, find folks who we are. I am Rob from the East Coast. Over there, we have Aaron from the West Coast. And we got a few things to discuss today. But before we do that, Aaron, say hi to the people. What's up? It's Aaron checking in from the Yay area. What he said. <laughs> All right, let's not waste any man, time. Babe. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things happening out there with uh, that that uh, basketball team that that, uh, that plays. But we'll, we'll get to that a bit later. Um, first thing we want to get into is the NFL Combine, which just recently finished. Um, Aaron and I want to get into a little bit of talk about our thoughts on whether these impressive combine stats and performances are just a just a you know a tremendous show of athletic ability that are just that or how much we feel they actually translate into success and overall performance on the actual football field so before we get into that I want to read the top performers in each of the categories starting with the 40-yard dash we had Denzel Ward cornerback from Ohio State Dante Jackson, cornerback from LSU. Perry Nickerson, cornerback from Tulane. All posting a 4.32 in the 40-yard dash. Uh, next, the bench press. We have Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle from Stanford, posting up 42 reps with the vertical jump. Terrell Edmonds, safety of Virginia Tech. Mike Tusecki, tight end, Penn State. Joshua Kelly, safety, Nebraska. Matthew Thompson, outside linebacker, FSU. All putting up 41.5, broad jump, that cornerback yet again, Denzel Ward, 11 feet, 4 inches, three-cone drill, Jordan Thomas, cornerback, Oklahoma, with a 6.28, 20-yard shuttle, Grant Haley, cornerback, Penn State, and Jordan Thomas, yet again, cornerback, Oklahoma, with 3.94, and last but not least, the 60-yard shuttle, a guy by the name of Avante Maddox, cornerback, Pitt, with a 10.72. Aaron, what do you make of these combine results? So, for me, I think of this. So, I think the combine is a good test and measurement of athletic skills. So, I think, you know, like 40-yard time, that's putting up a Denzel Ward from Ohio State, putting up a 4-3-2. That's impressive. Uh, You know, all these guys getting, you know, 4-3 speed, that's, you know, that's, uh, impressive and um you know do i think it correlates some of it i think it does um but there are ways to improve it obviously but uh you know props out to these guys for putting up some some big numbers and just being you know overall athletic freaks because uh you know that's just kind of uh that's kind of crazy couldn't agree more couldn't agree more now um, one big takeaway that I want to get into from from these results, and I know you just mentioned Denzel Warriors, put the, who put up some really impressive numbers of the combine. Uh, my opinion on what position I think this is most relevant for. Uh, now, you know, we can we can argue for any position in football, but the one that I want to highlight is indeed cornerback, um, largely because uh, with with cornerback, obviously technique is very important, but but Things like instinct, athletic ability, speed, agility, athleticism, 
uh, they can really, really make or break a cornerback when, you know, th- when things go south. Uh, because cornerback is pr- probably one of the most difficult positions to play. Uh, you're pretty much responding and reacting to what the receiver is doing. Um, and, it, you know, in today's offense where there's a lot of, a lot of spread formations, uh, NFL is obviously very pass-happy. You know, a cornerback's ability to rely on said athleticism is an extremely, extremely valuable tool. Also, nowadays, so many different players on offense run routes, going from running backs to receivers to tight ends to linemen. And as we saw in the Super Bowl, even quarterbacks. And what do you think is, uh, is the one position that, that really translates most relevantly with these uh, combine results? So, to me... I think they really help defenders, but I mean, I'm not, so I'll put it this way. So some of the stuff in the combine, I'm a fan of, but some of the stuff I'm also kind of not a fan of because to me, it doesn't really matter. Um, So for me, it's kind of like, I look at it from a standpoint of, I think it helps, you know, them judge how good of a talent um, this person is, but I think the biggest thing that makes or breaks a person um, kind of within the NFL is the system that they go to. Uh, you hear these guys are their system guys, and to me it's kind of like, you know, while everyone, uh, you know, you, me being a Patriots fan, prime example, you know, you look at the receivers that go in there and the numbers that they put up, and it's just astronomical, but it's because they're constantly put in situations to where this is your skill set, this is what you're good at, um, and this is what I'm asking you to do rather than taking a guy, a big physical guy like a Des Bryant, and then trying to spread him out and put him in the slot and put him in position um, to where he can. I mean, it's relevant with a Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, you know, he's been able to extend his career by being able to move into the slot. Um, so I think more so to me, um, overall, I think combine really kind of helps show some, and maybe I would kind of give it to defensive guys, but overall, I just truly think the biggest thing that makes or breaks these guys um, is a system because it's kind of like, yeah, some of these guys can run a 4-2, you know, a 4-3-2, but what does that mean in-game with pads when you're tired? You know, to me, it was kind of like that doesn't – that just shows me, okay, when you're fresh, you're really, really fast and no pads and just running in a straight line full as hard as you can, but – okay, cool, having that closing speed, but then being able to maybe dodge an offensive lineman or dodge a, someone trying to – a back coming out of the backfield trying to throw a block to spring a guy or something like that. To me, it's just kind of like it doesn't really encompass what or how the game of football is played. Um, so I think that's just kind of the downfall of the combine. But like I said, I mean, if you're just looking at this from a pure athletic standpoint of like, you know – just the average individual being able to run a four three or hit fifty reps of two twenty five on a bench, um, you know stuff like that. That to me is just where I look at it as that's just impressive from a pure athletic standpoint. But I don't necessarily mean that uh, or think that 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 guy is now going to be able to, um, you know, do that because it's just kind of like okay, it's also um, yeah, you can bench press two twenty five fifty times, but. And in the fourth quarter, you fight off a block from a 350-pound offensive lineman uh, to get to the quarterback to make a play. Um. <laughs> hey, Saquon Barkley can do all those things and more. That's, that's what I learned. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I mean, so that that's one of the things I learned. So I, I take a guy like Sa- Saquon Barkley, um, and to me, he proved – I mean, that to me showed everything of what he had did on the field solidified it now. So I think that's where it is to whether, you know, these guys who, you know, put up average numbers and then go be freaks at the combine, that to me doesn't really help you because it's kind of like I would rely more on game tape than – what you can do perfectly fresh when you've been training for this one single event uh, day in and day out for probably the last two months or so, or, you know, their college football season ended in, you know, January and here we are at the beginning of March, um, you know, so a solid month and a half of of whatever, just particular training or however long they've been training, you know, six days a week. Um, That to me doesn't really give an accurate picture of this guy's potential or future. Couldn't agree more. And we can also get into a lengthy discussion about how football is what's commonly referred to as the ultimate team sport. And the way, the way I look at it as far as the combine goes is that we have these great individual statistics and these great uh, individual numbers and, and what have you. But a lot of what's done on the football fields, as you, as you alluded to earlier, is done in pads and you know, fatigue sets in the fourth quarter and you're, you're pretty much playing against the guy across from you. But also, as an offensive player, and to a lesser extent a defensive player, a lot of what you do is heavily reliant, dependent, and somewhat a result of the other ten guys that you're playing with. You know, the receiver runs a route. You know, the quarterback's got to put the ball where it needs to be. Uh, a running back takes a handoff. The offensive line's got to open the holes. So there, there are so many variables there's so many moving parts and, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than a 40 yard dash and a, a broad jump, for example. So just, just wanted to, wanted to add to your, to your point there. Um, but as far as, man, as far as projecting how well these players are going to be in the NFL, that's, that's a hard thing to say. Uh, you, you definitely have to not only look at the, the combine results, you have to look at their whole body work in college and, and kind of extrapolate and, and take all the necessary information. And then, you, you know, it's been well documented about how teams can uh, avoid players who are poor character and uh, players have injury history and what's the level of competition they played against in college. So uh, the combine is just one, albeit a, a pretty major piece, but it's just one, one piece to the overall puzzle and a player's draft status and their, their, their overall, uh, projection as far as their NFL success goes. Um, but another thing that I want to touch on is um, uh, in today's NFL, more so than ever, generally speaking, players are pretty athletic all across the board. I mean, you look at what, what offensive linemen can do. You look at what tight ends can do. Uh, hey, the Saints have a have a backup quarterback who is playing special teams, you know, r- running down kick returners. I mean, these, these guys are incredible. Every year it seems like they're bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, uh, smarter as far as football intelligence goes for the most part. Uh, but, you know, it's, it all comes down to those matchups. And it all comes down to once, once those two teams get on the field and, and play one another, they're, as I said before, there are just, just so, so, many, so many different variables and so many things that have to be accounted for and so many, so many different moving parts. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, so I'm kind of with you of exactly that. So it's, it's, it's a lot of it goes into, like I said, it, it goes into the, 
to the team. It goes into the coaching. It goes into uh, just being able to be successful at you have a skill set and that this is what we're going to do. So many times we see guys, like prime example, I'll take a Lamar Jackson um, type individual. He is not your prototypical NFL quarterback. Um, you know, can he play quarterback in the NFL? Can he? Who knows? But you can't put this guy or take him and put him in an offense or try and force him to run an offense like a pro-style offense where he's making checks at the line, he's making reads, he's got full control, he's a, you know, he's a Manning, he's a Brady, he's a this, because he, that's not his game. That's not where his skill set is. Um, he's going to be more of a guy of where you kind of run a spread offense, you kind of give him a couple of quick and easy options, and if, then if not, then you let him create. Um, you know, so I would almost kind of put him in like a Kaepernick in the early uh, you know, when he was with Harbaugh kind of situation uh, to where it's kind of, hey, let's put this guy, get it, give him, okay, here's read one, here's read two, add read three. If not, you're gone. You know, create, use your legs, do something, um, the type of the thing, like the early cam years to where, you know, he wasn't that great of a passer early on. and But you knew that, you know, he had a huge arm but you knew he was going to be inaccurate. He wasn't always going to make the best of reads. Because um, that's ultimately what's going to make it break you as, as a quarterback. Um, it didn't really matter how athletic or how talented you are. Can you make the throw that you need to make? Um, and so that to me is really just like we've talked about is kind of the biggest thing is being put in a system, being put in a scheme um, to where you can succeed with the right coaches the right mentality, because you can take anybody, you can take, you know, like for me, I, I think Saquon Barkley going to the Browns, <laughs> that's not, you know, I feel bad for him then, because it's like you got this great talent, and he's on the Browns, and it doesn't matter how great, but you know he's not getting the best coaching, you know he's not being, you know, paired up with the best ownership groups, you know, he's not getting the help, he's not getting anything, so it's just kind of like, he's just going to go there, and, you know, he's going to struggle. And you're going to feel bad for the kid, and everyone's going to say, oh, he was a bust, he didn't turn out anything. But it's like, you put anybody on that team, and, you know, they're going to, they're going to you know, they got a lot more problems, and he can't cover up, um, you know, all the problems they got at O-line, in the, you know, receiving core, with, in the ownership, with the coaches. Just, you know, I think, like I said, they got, like, over, they got the most cap space in the NFL to make moves and they're not doing it. And it's, you know, it's all about the money. So you pay the right person. You pay Kirk Cousins, you know, $35 million a year. He's going to come play quarterback for the Browns. I guarantee you that. Um, (laughs) Money talks regardless of how players say, I want to be put in this position to uh, win or succeed. But you call up Kirk Cousins and say, hey, we taking Barkley number one, plus you got Josh Morgan. Uh, you know, we'll make a, a buy in a free agency for, a, for um, you know, a, a Jimmy Graham or someone and, you know, kind of give you, hey, now you got three offensive options, um, you know, kind of shore up the O-line and, you know, maybe go out and get a, a free agent of some sort, um, you know, on the defensive end to kind of help them out. And then, hey, you know, and, and for the Browns to me and for some teams, it's kind of like you got to measure success and you can't come in and say, okay, we're a Super Bowl contender. 
Uh, you got to be real with yourself and say, okay, hey, we are, uh, you know, the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> We're going to go eight and eight. Um, you know, a successful season with us is going ten and six. You know, eleven and five, and you know, making a run in the playoffs. But um, let's truly be honest to where we're not built right now to be uh, a Super Bowl contender. And measure your success you that way and be a realist and build that team. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think we as fans often get tied up in, oh, my gosh, why is this player going number five overall? That was a terrible pick. But you made a really, really good, good point about um, team fits for players and also, you know, being realistic about where a team is currently, you know, are they a Super Bowl contender? Are they rebuilding? Uh, you know, are they, are they a defensive minded team, offensive minded team? Where are their holes? What positions? What's their depth like? Uh, you know, what's, what's the average age of certain players, you know, looking at the future, so forth and so on. I mean, there's, there's so much more that goes into it that, you know, we as fans, you know, t- tend to ignore. We just say, wow. Barkley went number one overall. This is, you know, and we, we have an opinion, you know, yay or nay, but there's, there's, there's so much more that's relevant in those, those draft selections, obviously. Um, but one last point I want to make about this before we get into some uh, NFL free agents is with, with all these, you know, all these uh, combine sets, at the end of the day, I, I know I, I talked a bit about uh, it really comes down to, um, you know, playing within your team, playing with the guy next to you, playing against the guy across from you. So I, I don't, I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how high you can jump. What, what matters to me, as, you know, as, as a very in-depth football fan, and I imagine to, to coaches and, and, and teams, is can you cover an out route consistently well? Can you run a fade, fade route well? Can you catch the fade route as a quarterback? Can you make the back shoulder throw? Uh, and also. If, if you don't do these things well, other teams are going to ex- exploit your weaknesses. So uh, X's and O's, it comes down to X's and O's. Now, we already touched a bit on uh, Mr. Barkley, who seemingly can do no wrong in, in today's world. Um, any other combine freaks that stood out to you in the, uh, in the combine, Aaron? Um, so I think the kid out of uh, UCF with, with the one hand – Griffin, uh, Shaquan Griffin, uh, or I'm butchering the kid's name, but I think everyone kind of knows who we're talking about. Um, I, you know, he surprised me, Shaquan Griffin, um, this guy. He, you know, he, he definitely surprised me. Um, I think just, again, more of a freak standpoint from the fact that the guy only has one arm um, is – it's very inspiring, but to me, it's also kind of, um, you know, I look, I, I respect the kid. I think he deserves a shot. Uh, if I was an NFL owner, if I was something, would I give it to him? I, you know, I don't know. I can't say that I would just solely because of that fact. And it's like you go up against some of these teams and they will just scheme and scheme and scheme and just expose your weakness. Um, I should say the good teams do that. So uh, you go up against a team like the Patriots and they say, okay, um, we know this is a weakness, so we're just going to exploit it and continue to exploit it and continue to exploit it and force you to do something about it and make an adjustment of some sort. Um, So that's just kind of my biggest fear is just that everything is so big, it's so fast, um, you know, to where everyone in the NFL is, 
purely talented and has the ability. Um, so it's just kind of how do you, as a team, how do you as a coach kind of mask, you know, that glaring of a weakness of that. Um, so, you know, like as a fan, do I think, and would I like to see him play? Yeah, I would definitely be happy. But uh, if I was the owner, if I was someone kind of in the draft room, um, I would have a hard time, you know, kind of looking at that and say, okay, maybe we give him a crack on special teams. Um, and, you know, but I, I, I couldn't see him just being a consistent every down uh, linebacker. So, like I said, it's – I. I can't. I think everyone deserves it, but it's just hard. I I can't uh, recall a, a player in the NFL who had a uh, no a physical impairment such as the one that he has. Um, so it definitely presents the challenges. But hey, the the kid has made it this far in his in his football career, and the physical therapist in me says someone's going to give him a shot. Now let's get into a, to a few uh, a few free agents real quick. Um, quick little hot take, if you will. Uh, I'll I'll name I'll name a guy. Uh, I'll quickly say where I think they're going to land and why. Aaron will respond, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll go from there. And pretty soon we'll talk about that sport where they bounce the ball on the hardwood. Uh, first, <clears throat> Mr. Malcolm Butler. Mr. Malcolm Butler. Where do I think he's going to go? Definitely not staying with New England because there was that whole shady benching situation in the Super Bowl that we still don't really know truth about. Um, he was almost traded to the Saints before last season. Uh, as as you all know, the Saints eventually traded Brandon Cooks to the Patriots. Um, Malcolm Butler was rumored for the longest time to be involved in that trade, uh, but obviously that never came to fruition. I, I don't see that as a fit because, as you saw from New Orleans secondary, they had the offense – I'm sorry, ooh, the defensive rookie of the year uh, in Marshawn Lattimore. And despite the missed tackle heard around the world, Marcus Williams at safety had a phenomenal rookie year as well. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think the Saints are going to spend heavy on a cornerback in free agency. So I think they're now out of the picture. Um, but for Butler, man, I don't know about you, Aaron, but I really feel like this is personal for him. I mean, I saw that man crying on the sideline. I can easily see him going to Buffalo, pairing with Jadavious White, the, the, the stellar rookie cornerback from, from the Bills, who, if it wasn't for Lattimore, probably could have and should have won defensive rookie of the year. Or maybe the Jets, you know, come to, come to New York, uh, help be a part of that uh, young and, and rising defense and help be a part of that rebuild. Um, Butler's not, not old by any means and as far as football age goes, but, yeah, for him. Definitely think it's personal. I see him staying in division, uh, Buffalo or, or New York. What say you? So surprisingly, uh, I am. I agree with. I don't think he's coming back to New England. I will be very surprised. A because I know he's going to want a lot of money. B I know New England isn't going to give him a lot of money. Um, and two, it's, you know, like you said, the whole Super Bowl debacle of what happened, what didn't happen, um, I don't know. But I honestly see him coming out here. Uh, I actually see him landing with maybe the Niners or maybe the Raiders. Um, the Niners just got a lot of money to spend. Um, and, you know, I think they could, you know, definitely sure up the, the secondary. Um, and he's looking for big money. They got big money. 
Um, his boy Jimmy G is out here. So I could actually see him uh, coming out here to the Bay. Or I can see him up in Oakland. Oakland's another team that they had a talented defense two years ago. Um, and they made a run. And they were, you know, people were priming them in New England in the, in the AFC title game. And, you know, some people were kind of like, oh, Oakland can kind of give them some trouble. And, you know, they get them in Oakland. You know, they, they got a, you know, they got a shooter's chance. Um, so, I, I honestly see, uh, I honestly see them kind of coming out to the Bay and maybe teaming up with one of those teams and maybe making a, a playoff run. But, you know, I, I just know he wants a lot of money. He thinks he deserves a lot of money. I think he does as well. Um, he's an outstanding corner, probably top five in the NFL. And, um, you know, I just don't – I can see him going from New England to Buffalo or the Jets just because he's used to winning. He likes to win. Basically, three out of the four years he's been in the NFL, he's been in the Super Bowl. Um, so, I, it's a hard press, and I don't think his grudge is that big against New England to, to stay and go with one of those uh, reigning franchises to where he knows at the end of the day it doesn't matter. You can still beat the Pats twice a year, uh, but that's going to be the highlight of your season uh, <laughs> rather than making a Super Bowl run or a playoff run because those teams are far from it. Yeah, I was I, I was curious where he's from. I just looked it up because you know, when when a player hits the prime of their career, much much more so as they get into the twilight of their career, a lot of players like to like to play close to home. And Malcolm Butler is from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Uh, so I would therefore assume the closest team would be New Orleans. But I've already stated why I don't think that's going to happen. But just wanted to throw that out there. All right, next up, Mr. Jimmy Graham. Aaron, why don't, why don't you why don't you take this first? Because I'm just I'm just sweating with excitement about this this one. Go ahead. Where do you think Jimmy's going to go? So to be honest with you, I have no clue. Um, I'm 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 a firm believer. I, I can see him going back home because um, that to me kind of is the only move that makes sense. Because uh, to me, it's just kind of like who is going to spend money on Jimmy Graham at this point? Like I mean. The guy, he was amazing in New Orleans. Um, and the moment he left, he has since not performed or lived up to the expectations. And, um, you know, I, I would be surprised to see him kind of go or make, you know, teams make solid runs at him, um, you know, to try and land his services. Because, like I said, I, I think he's past his prime. Um, you know, it's almost like going after Tony Gonzalez, like, uh, you know, the Falcons did a couple of years ago at the end of his career, you know. But, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I, New Orleans is kind of, like I said, the only landing spot to me that makes sense because, uh, for me, I would just kind of go out and draft a kid. Um, you know, or maybe New England. You know, they like to, you know. Jimmy hey, well, hey, hey, well. hey. <laughs> <laughs> Watching now. Watching now. England does like the double tight end sets. <laughs> they, 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 they do. They, they do. Now, um, in, in response to you saying that that Jimmy went out to Seattle and and essentially laid an egg, um, by no means did he did he reach his gaudy numbers when he was in New Orleans. But just wanted to read his stats real quick in the in the three years, um, 2015, 16, and 17 in that order. 
Um, 48 catches, 605, and two touchdowns, followed by 65 catches, 923 yards, and six touchdowns. And last year, as an afterthought, essentially, 57 for only 520, but the man did have 10 touchdowns. So uh, with that, I'll get into where I think he's going. And uh, I might as well even say it because the whole world probably knows. I think he's coming back to New Orleans. Um, the Saints were uncharacteristically bad on third down in 2017. I've never seen that before as, as a fan. And Jimmy Graham can certainly, certainly help with that. Uh, and I just point out that this past season, while people are saying, yeah, Jimmy Graham is past his prime, he's probably almost done, yada, yada, yada. He did post 10 touchdowns with Russell Wilson, who uh, isn't exactly the most prolific red zone passer as we saw in the Super Bowl against the uh, Patriots. But that's neither here nor there. Also, Breeze loves Jimmy. Jimmy loves Breeze. And they kind of, the organization and, and Graham kind of ended on bad terms when they traded him to Seattle. Um, the, the Saints clearly thought that, that they can survive without him, and, and Jimmy may have felt the same. And both sides haven't been the same since. They, they need each other, and Jimmy Graham would easily be the missing piece to New Orleans offense, especially with Sean Payton, the mad scientist. And bottom line, the Saints gave him a chance out of, out of the U after playing football for only one year there. They, they, they molded him. They made him into the player he was, so much so there was heated debate as to whether he should be given a contract based on that of a wide receiver or a tight end. So what it all comes down to for me, unfinished business. Welcome home, Jimmy. Welcome home. Last but not least, <laughs> Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. This guy, this guy, Kirk Cousins, is about to make an ungodly amount of money for no reason. Uh, I believe, Aaron, you've expressed your – uh, strong opinion about how mediocre Kirk Cousins is. Um, so I'll give you the floor mainly, but let me just quickly say, I think he's going to Denver. I've said on I said on this show before that I I think Denver made a huge mistake not handing that team over to a veteran quarterback after Peyton Manning retired. Uh, you know, you have the Elway factor. Uh, they have a great wide receiver duo in, in Thomas and Sanders. Um, I just think this makes a lot of sense. Go ahead, Kirk Cousins. What you got? So, I think again. I think I can see Kirk Cousins in Denver. I think they're a, a prime contender. The biggest thing again is Cousins is a guy that's motivated by money. Why he could never meet a deal with Washington. Washington offered him extension. He wanted more money than what they felt he was worth. Um, and so in the end, they just let him go because you know it wasn't worth it. So for me. I can, you know, I see him. I could see him in Denver, but I just don't think Denver has the money, um, or they'll be able to match certain teams' offers. Um, so I could honestly see him. So I would say Denver's a prime landing spot. I could actually see him going to maybe Buffalo or maybe the Jets. Uh, the Jets got a lot of solid cap space because they got nothing but rookie QBs um, for you know league minimum, uh, you know team friendly deals. And I and I think they could just offer him the money that he wants. So that's where, to me, ultimately, I see him kind of going. Uh, I guess so it's about the it's about the money. For Chris, you're saying it's about the money. For I, I think man. it is. I is mean, what, it is okay. solely about the money. Um, and I think I'm also 
I think Denver's done. Um, that defense is, is aging. They've missed that, that prime window. Um, and the one thing that we all know about the NFL is, and we started to see it this year, granted their offense was bad, so the defense was on the field quite a lot. But teams have started to figure them out. You know, they find they found ways to, um, you know, to expose them to, you know, become successful uh, against them. And so I think that to me is kind of like that. Yeah, they have a a Super Bowl caliber defense, but I think that uh, that vaunted, um, you know, Denver D that we saw, you know, make Super Bowl runs and uh, defeat the Patriots and some AFC. The titles and give them struggles is is pretty much gone, um, and you know I, I think it's the point in time to where just like the Legion of Boom uh, has kind of seen their run and their time. You know the thing like the in the NFL, you know they usually stay around for two to three years before teams start to figure it out. Um, you know just like the Wildcat, like that thing was just everyone was running the Wildcat, um, and now that's a you know that's that's coming gone. Uh, you still see variations of it, you know maybe one or two plays a game. But outside of that, I mean, there was a point in time where it was like literally at least four times and a half you saw the team line up in the Wildcat of some sort. Um, and those those Miami so I, I, those Miami <laughs> those Miami Dolphins really really beat that Wild Wildcat every every single game. You remember yeah. the Miami yeah. Dolphins from the man? I don't know what those guys are thinking. But anyway, um, so, so, so you, you so brought, that's kind you of like the aging. My, my downfall with Denver. Yeah, the aging defense. They're not going to have that amount of money, so his window and, and the time is is there. Plus, the AFC is a little bit, you know, more chippier um, than it is kind of in the NFC, where you know NFC every year it's kind of anyone's shot of whoever gets hot. Uh, we saw it with the Eagles this year, who just got hot, stayed hot. Uh, and wrote it to where kind of, you know, the AFC, it's like, you know who the perennial teams are and who you're going to have to go through. So, um, you know, I can kind of see him saying, okay, cool. You know, if I'm going to the AFC, I'm joining one of these top teams uh, because that's the only way I'm getting through there. Well, going off a little bit on that aging Denver defense, there's been some talk about them uh, cutting ties with Aqib Tlaib, and um, that would definitely clear up quite a bit more money for Mr. Kirk Cousins to go to Denver. Uh, just, just something, something to think about that, you know, that, that could be a, 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 you know, a, a cog in the machine there getting, getting rid of uh, Talib and bringing up some more cap space to bring in uh, Mr. You like that Kirk Cousins. Um, we need to get into some NBA talk, but real quick, I'm going to mention three names that have been uh, rumored to be on the trading block or, you know, be on the move. And Aaron and I are quickly going to say, we think they, they stay. We think they go. We'll get, we'll get through this. First one, Michael Bennett, stays or goes? Go. He goes. Eric Ebron, stays or goes? Stay. Stays. Nick Foles, stays or goes? Nick Foles is gone. Nick Foles is staying in Philadelphia. Man, Carson Wentz is- Needs an insurance policy. Those ACL reconstructions are far from a guarantee, but he'll be fine. But I think Foles sticks around. Now, <clears throat> enough NFL talk for now. We gotta we gotta realize that there are other sports in in the U.S. of A. Um, little NBA playoff talk. We want to go through the current bottom four playoff seeds in each conference, 
and the the four seeds behind them, so seeds 9, 10, 11, 12. And just quickly get into whether we think those current uh, five to eight seeds are going to remain or we think some of the teams on the outside looking in are going to jump in. Uh, Aaron's going to take the east. I'm going to take the west. We'll give a quick rebuttal, and then we'll get into our final topic of the show. Uh, Eastern Conference, we've got uh, from 5 through 12. Uh, for the sake of time, I won't go through the records, but just know once once we hit uh, number 9, the records get pretty bad. <laughs> we got the Wizards, the Sixers, the Heat, Bucks. The, the, that's, those are the current playoff teams. And then outside looking in, Pistons, Hornets, Knicks, and Bulls. Do five through eight remain, or do one of those outside teams jump into the playoff picture by the end of the season, Aaron? I think it all stays the same. So I think the seeding will change. Outside of that, I think this is who it's going to be from the East. The East is terrible. We all know it. Um, I, you know, I, I can't see the Pistons. I definitely don't see the Hornets. The Knicks without Porzingis has no chance, and the Bulls are just laughable. Like, God, Lee, can they go back to the MJ heyday? <laughs> or even Derrick Rose heyday. Jeez. The Derrick Rose? You're calling Derrick Rose as a heyday? All right. All right. I mean, I guess for the East, you know, we, we kind of take what we can get, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, I agree that, that the East sucks. And I think nothing will change from uh, five, six, and eight. So that's uh, the Wizards, Sixers, and Bucks. But number seven is going to drop out the Heat, that is. The Bucks are going to jump to number seven. And squeaking in there could possibly be those Detroit Pistons squarely on those shoulders of Mr. Kia Motors himself, Blake Griffin, jumping over cars like they've never seen. But it doesn't really matter. The East is so top-heavy. These Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be boring, in my opinion, laughable for that matter. Um, but I think that uh, Miami gets the boot, and Detroit could pop into one of those bottom seeds, uh, but the rest remain. Now, the Western uh, so Conference. I think uh... – Go ahead. So, so real quick on the East, so I think yeah. the um, I think the Sixers overtake the Wiz, and I think Milwaukee overtakes. Um, so I think Milwaukee goes up to seven. Um, okay. And so, the, so I think um, the Sixers will finish fifth, Wizards sixth, then Milwaukee at seven and then uh, the other team at eight. I don't even remember who the hell they are because they all suck, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so so, the, so the, team you le- <laughs> the team you left out was Miami, and I was suggesting that – Miami, that, yeah. Uh, that I, was, I was suggesting that, that the Pistons can go on a run if Blake gets hot or, you know, just just, just, the, just the excitement and, yeah. and the energy of having a having an all-star come to Detroit, that they, they, can, they can hop into one of those bottom, bottom seats. All right, the Western Conference. 5 through 12, Spurs, Wolves, OKC, Nuggets. Those are the current playoff teams. Outside looking in, Clippers, Jazz, Lakers, and my beloved Sacramento Kings, who are sitting at 20 and 44. 
I will say that again. The Kings are currently 20-44. and 44. They haven't had a winning record in over a decade, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, but I still remain faithful. Now, the West is way too strong from numbers one through seven. Now, once again, five, six, and seven are the Spurs, the Wolves, and Oklahoma City. So I see no changes there. I mean, the Thunder are sitting at number seven. The Thunder are somewhat in jeopardy of missing the playoffs, if you want, you know, if you want to be technical. The Oklahoma City Thunder, with their with their big three of Russ, PG thirteen, and Melo. I mean, that's that's a strong conference. That is an extremely strong conference from top to bottom. Um, the the Wolves have what I consider to be the perfect blend of youth, vets, shooting, post, defense, coaching. Etc. The the wolves are going to be a force to reckon with for for years to come. Not quite there yet, but definitely a playoff team. Spurs to the Spurs, moving on. Now I don't think the Nuggets are going to remain at number eight. I think the Jazz are going to jump in and take the number eight seed. I think Rudy Gobert's beast. Derek Favors can hold his own in the paint, um, and I think their guard play is very good and very underrated with Alec Burks. Dante Exum, and the Rookie of the Year candidate, Donovan Mitchell. And, uh, and that guy, Ricky Rubio, is hanging around. I don't know. Something about Ricky Rubio, that Spaniard, I just think he's a good point guard. Just, I don't know. Too bad he hasn't remained healthy throughout his career. Plus, it's time to show the Utah Jazz some love. Show the Jazz some love. Haven't gotten any since the Stockton and Malone days. The Jazz sticking to the Western Conference playoffs. What do you say, Aaron? So... I think this. I honestly think the Jazz don't make the – actually, the Jazz Ooh, can sneak in at number eight. I, If I had to put my money on it, though, you know, actually I would. I, I would give them the eight seed. Um, I don't trust the Clippers. Um, and I just – the Nuggets – I mean, they're playing. They're hot now, but I, you know, it's yeah. I just can't see it. You know, I, I, I just mm-mm, don't see it happening. So, um, I'm, I'm actually with you. I will jump on the Jazz, jump in and sneak in at number eight. I will jump on the bandwagon. Would you go so far as to say the Jazz will beat the Dubs? <laughs> I won't go that far. So I, you know, originally I, I would say this. I, I, I would say this. I, I think, for me, I can't. The only thing is this. Like I said, Golden State just the Dubs just have that next switch, uh, and with that big four, and when they turn it on, it's scary. Uh, and you're starting to see it now um, that the all-star game is over and they're just, you know, now it's just bully ball. Um, and that to me is scary. And, you know, I, at first I was a little worried, but I'm not, you know, the Rockets are hot. They're, they're playing hot, but I just, when it comes playoff time, James Harden's game doesn't translate. Uh, he's too cute. And, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, for, forget forget a big three. You're, you're over there talking about a, a big four. It's just not fair. Which leads yeah, I mean, to our they, – Their entire – I mean, 
Think about it. Four out of five of their starters are all-stars. Four. <laughs> like, literally made the all-star team. Four of their five starters. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But, hey, <laughs> aside, from, aside, from, aside from Durant, they, they've, they've built that team from the ground up. They, they really have. So, I definitely, definitely cannot hate on that. Um, which leads us into our third and final topic of discussion, one in which we put a poll up on our Facebook page, and Aaron and I are going to discuss the lack of parity, or perhaps not, if if Aaron feels that's the case, in today's NBA. Um, first, I'll get into the, the current state of the NBA. I mean, we were just talking about how, forget a big three, <clears throat> the Dubs have a big four. I mean, all four of their five starters were all-stars. I mean, that's that's hard to mess with, especially come playoff time, especially come a seven-game series, especially when the Warriors are playing as well as they're playing. But it all started with the with the big three they had in Miami with with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. I mean, you got in, in OKC, you got uh, Paul George, Melo, and, and Russ. I mean, you're seeing it a lot in today's NBA. Uh, players are kind of flocking together to a handful of teams, trying to create these so-called super teams. Um, so that's that's obviously one one way in which there is a a lack of parity in, in today's NBA. Um, another thing, as far as lack of parity goes, not just players themselves, but look at the conferences. I mean, the East has, and for for the last handful of years, been very 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 top heavy. Um, now, who's who's going to challenge Cleveland year you know year in year out? Of course, Boston's playing really well this year. Um, we're not going to talk about the Toronto Raptors, even though the, uh, whatever. Uh, but the West has been the far better conference from top to bottom. So you know we can we can get into Aaron a little bit of a lack of parity conference to conference. And the third and final thing I want I want to hear your thoughts on about today's NBA before we get into the kind of '90s early 2000s is. How do you think the, these max contracts and all this money is going into to essentially the lack of parity? I mean, players seem to be signing on with good teams for you know shorter amounts of time, um, not really committing long term, and just waiting for that big payday, waiting for that opportunity to just make crazy amounts of money and and and, and jo- join their join their friends to create the next next super team. So, conference to conference, max contracts. How do you think that's affecting the NBA nowadays? So I think the biggest thing that's affecting it is just, it's honestly, it's just a different league. It's a different culture. Um, and I think more so, like you said, guys are, so I think there's more of a, a friendliness to it. You don't have those rivalries to where it's kind of like, I want to go play with my friend rather than like, uh, you know, and then you have those guys who kind of at the tail end of their careers just hop on to the bandwagon and, you know, ride the wave, i.e., um, <laughs> like, uh, what's, his, what's the guy's name? Jones, uh, James Jones. Like, roll the James Jones. Literally. You, you, brought, you brought up James <laughs> you <know>. Jones. <laughs> yeah, you know, who rode the coattails. Um, you know, David West, who is. I mean, he's a big part of kind of, you know, what the what the Dubs got. But, you know, he's also kind of definitely on the tail end of his career, right? And uh, those, that coattail, you know, to kind of get him a, 
a ring or so. Um, so I think that to me is just kind of, you didn't really see that to where, you know, a guy more so was like, Hey, you know, I'm just, you know, I want to go play. You know, I, I don't really care where I play. Hold up. Hold these up, guys hold are up. All I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to be super rude and interject for a minute because I just got these disgusting flashbacks of Gary Payton and Carmelo in Lakers uniform. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh they teamed God. up with the big four and then got dusted by the Pistons. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, that to me is just really the biggest thing to where it's, uh, you know, a lot of guys are just saying, well, I want to go play with this team and only this team uh, to where back in the day it was just like, I don't really care where I play. I just want to play. Uh, you know, I'm good enough to where I can, you know, take this team and, and be that guy to where it's like you don't see that to where it's like, well, I want to go to this team and him and I and this guy are all going to team up and we're going to be that team. Um, so I think it was a little bit more individual. You know, everyone maybe had, you know, one or two stars back in the day. Um, you know, after that, it wasn't – you didn't see, you know, four all-stars on a team. You didn't see – you know, three, you maybe had three, but, you know, that last guy was kind of like an alternate because some dude sprained his ankle <laughs> type of a deal. So it's like you kind of get the, the sympathy vote guy, but, you know, you don't see these perennial guys who can, you know, you don't see an OKC. You never saw, you know, three guys who can demand max money all on the same team. Man, as, as I mentioned, the horror of, Malone and Gary Payton Lakers uniforms. I'm also thinking of what I call the first and original super team, those early 2000 Sacramento Kings who just couldn't get past those Los Angeles Lakers, but they had some really, really good teams from top to bottom and some of the most beautiful basketball I've ever laid my eyes on. Uh, but let's get into so, – so, you know, we touched on a couple things going on in, in today's NBA and, you know, what, why, why it is the way it is and some of the foundations, if you will. But let's, let's close this out with talking about how things were back in the early 2000s and, and 90s, which is probably the eras of basketball – or era, I should say, that, that we probably remember initially as we were growing up and as, as we were, were children – as children, excuse me um, – First of all, I feel like there's a tremendous amount of pride back then. I don't know what it is, um, but the NBA was, was much more physical. It was much more gritty. Um, you know, I'll use that same word again, pride. Uh, teams seemed to stay together longer. There was a lot of unity. Um, I do think that, that money had a lot to do with it. Uh, there, were, there weren't those huge TV mega deals back then. Um, you know, that was around the time when, Endorsements were just kind of popping up, you know, Jordan, Nike. I mean, nowadays it feels like Oprah out there, you get a shoe, you get a shoe, you get a shoe deal. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I want to look and see all the shoe, shoe deals that are out there, and there's probably a couple of bums who don't deserve some shoes of their own. But, so uh, a lot of differences in, in, in that regard. Um, the game was also very different. Uh, it, was, it was regulated and refereed differently. Uh, I feel like players are able to be much more expressive on the court back then. Um, hey, you know, I like Dennis Rodman, and I can name, name a few others, but he's obviously the first person that comes to mind when I think of the word expressive, and that's putting it lightly. Uh, you know, 
I feel like the draft was definitely much more important back then. You know, teams teams definitely built it through the draft more often. You know, once again, reverting back to, to money and, and endorsements and shoe deals and, and TV contracts. You know, perhaps teams didn't have uh, as many resources in the 90s and 2000s and you know, obviously before then. So you, you drafted who you drafted and, and you had to build a team through that. And perhaps there were, you know, a few free agents that – a few big free agents that changed teams or changed hands, you know, from year to year. But for the most part, you know, teams were together and players were together for, for pretty long stretches of time. Uh, so one last unique thing I think is social media wasn't around back then. You know, players weren't, weren't monitored on a, on a day-to-day basis. Didn't have TMZ following people around. Um, so, you couldn't you couldn't flaunt here and flaunt there on a on a regular regular basis. So, on the court in front of that home crowd, when the opposing team came to your home court, that's when you had to to show everything. You had to you had to show your game. You had to you had to, you had to flaunt your skills. You had to show your character. This, that, and the third. So, defending your home court and the actual game itself was so much more important back then because we didn't have all these outside distractions and all all these outside factors looking in. So um, all, all those things are why I think basketball is a little bit different 10, 20 years ago. Um, what you got for the 90s and early 2000s? What was going on back then? Do you remember anything? So I think for me, you know, so I think the one thing the NBA did and what the NFL did is no one really wanted to see those. I mean, it doesn't make for good TV. Um to watch, you know, those 80, you know, 75 to 80 type basketball games that were just physical. And it was kind of like, it was boring to the average fan because you got to think, you know, most people who watch, you know, these sports aren't, you know, diehard fans um, who cared. It was kind of like, you know, the casual fan, which makes up the majority of, um, you know, business for these organizations kind of want to see, more high-flying, more action, higher point score, all that stuff. So that's why both, you know, organizations kind of changed up and become more offensive-based and uh, less defensive-based. So, um, you know, for me, I think that has a lot to do with it. And then, like I said, I just think it's the rise of these guys playing a lot in AAU. So it's kind of, you know, maybe you only played against this guy, you know, one or two times to where it's kind of like, oh, you know, him and I played on the same AAU basketball team or, uh, you know, we went to the same college or kind of have that affiliation of, you know, playing with each other on numerous occasions. So it's kind of like, oh, I want to team up with this guy. Like, I really like him. And and we ran it when we was in AAU, so we can run it again um, in the NBA. Or we ran together when we were at, you know, Michigan State and, you know, took a, you you know, coaches or took us to the, to the final four, you know, we can, we can do it. Um, that kind of mentality to where, um, you know, and to me, it's like a lot of it does have to do with money. Uh, but I mean, the more enticing thing is to stay where you are because then you can get the, uh, the super max. But I mean, at the end of the day, all these guys really now care about is, you know, their legacy and winning a title. Um, and, and unfortunately that's created these teams to where it's like, well, you, me and you all go team up and we'll go win, you know, these titles real quick, and then everyone will say how great we are um, to where it's kind of, you know, back then it was more so earned uh, the hard way to where it's kind of like, hey, 
let's just get the, you know, top talent all team up and, you know, make a run at this. I agree. I agree. I mean, another thing that, that we could that we could get into uh, some other time, because we got about a bit of left here, folks, is the the international influence on the game. I mean, that that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but NBA, NFL talk, any final words regarding either of those two wonderful sports that we live, eat, and breathe? Uh, at this time, hey, I'm just excited to see what happens and, uh, you know, hope by this time next week we'll have a, a final four picture so uh, we can kind of make some predictions there too. And also, uh, uh, this time next week will be one one or maybe two days shy of the start of official NFL free agency. So, no, I'm sure some other players, maybe franchise tags, maybe franchise tags, excuse me, uh, other players uh, may be released so we can – also paint a uh, clearer picture of the uh, NFL free agency. But once again, thanks for listening. We will see you next Tuesday. Peace. Peace.